0: Hi everyone, welcome to Voices of Western, the Humans of Western podcast.
1: This is where we delve into everyday stories of students, staff, and faculty on campus.
0: Be sure to check us out on Instagram at humans underscore western and our Facebook page, Humans of Western.
1: My name is Zainab.
0: And I'm Kevin. Today's episode features Professor Joe Devereaux from the Department of English and Writing Studies.
1: Her research interests include the relationship between 19th century visual arts, theater, performance, and poetry. She also teaches drama, including directing the Western Summer Shakespeare program.
0: We really enjoyed filming this episode, and we hope you enjoy it as well. Alright, so we're here with a very special guest. Um, this is Professor Joe Devereux. And I'm hope I actually didn't ever ask if I pronounced that correctly. How do you pronounce uh, that? Devereaux. Oh, Devereaux, okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I guess just to begin, maybe you can just tell us a bit about yourself.
2: Sure. So, um, uh, as Kevin said, I'm uh, Professor Joe Devereaux. I teach here in the uh, Department of English and Writing Studies at Western. And um, I've taught here for quite a long time, and I actually went to Western as an undergrad student. I did my BA here. In English and drama um, from 1980 to 84, and then uh, I also did an MA here, 85 to 86, and then after that I went to the University of Toronto, did a PhD, and I completed that in 1996. Uh, but before I finished, I did start teaching at Western, so moved back to London and started teaching here. And um, so my undergrad uh, was in drama, so I did lots of courses in drama and so on. It was right. really fun. Um, and then uh, <clears throat> my um, between my BA and MA, I actually went to England for a year. Um, cool. Yeah, it was really nice. fun, and uh, worked at a theater, um, part-time anyway, right. at the Oxford Playhouse in, in Oxford, just backstage work and helping out. It was a really great experience. Um, and then uh, my PhD is actually in Victorian literature, and that's the field of research that I do. So currently, um, I, I have a couple of books out on Victorian writers and uh, Victorian artists as well, I'm about to have another one come out next year, and then I'm working on another
0: project wow. on Victorian
2: artists. Yeah, I guess it's that's really something fun. We didn't
0: like we didn't, really touch upon. We like, didn't touch yeah. on
2: it last like, time, we and have I published uh, realized. Books, right. Yeah, and um, so that's a lot of fun, and I enjoy doing that. Um, and then, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, <laughs> a frog in no my t- <laughs> um, Yes, and I'm also currently another thing we didn't touch on is I'm the interim director of the Creative Arts and Production Program, which is just starting up. It's going to get going um, officially in the fall of 2022, Okay. um, but courses are currently running. um, And this is a program that students in the faculties of arts, music, and uh, media studies can enroll in as a second BA. And um, it involves things like the course that that you're in now that we're doing, the English course uh, 2041, putting on a production, and that's part of the credit, and other creative courses like that, Mm -hmm. and also studying the whole concept of creativity. So that's something interesting, uh, and that's something
0: you've like. uh, You're the lead director who's kind of helped put that together. Yeah,
2: well, I'm I'm the person who's um sort of the uh, who students would go to to ask for help in choosing courses and things like that. And I'm working with a couple of professors in who are currently employed at uh, FIMs Media Studies, um, who teach uh, creative courses. Uh, Basil Chiasson, who teaches creativity, and Sally Kiwayosh, who uh, is teaching screenwriting for Media Studies. And is going to be teaching some of the creative arts courses as well. So cool. it's a really exciting new program. Yeah, yeah well, that's I'm awesome. Very, um, uh, it's it's kind of a good time to launch into something where students can study. Um, the, mm-hmm. the idea of creativity and going into creative industries as well. Yeah, so,
1: and yeah. you've mentioned that your area of study is Victorian yes, literature. It's Vic, yeah. Would yeah. you say that it's important to keep studying these old forms of literature?
2: Yes, I do think so because, uh, I mean, nothing against modern or contemporary, which is yeah. great, <laughs> of course, but um older forms give you a real insight into the past, I think. This is mm-hmm. what I always found, like reading. Uh, a victorian novel you feel like it's like watching a film that's set in the past you feel like now you're in a different world you know and i just love that feeling being transported into the past like that and um you find out how um you know society uh, well specifically i'm looking at british victorian but how that society changed over time which is very interesting and you know it's it's really um i i don't know how to put it uh I I do think it teaches you about contemporary issues as well, because for Victorians, for example, many of the concerns that we have today were concerns then, too. They approached them in different ways, of course, and there were a lot of things they didn't. I mean, we look back at the past and go, oh, they were so bad and mistaken. And it's true. But a lot of problems that came up, such as, um, you know, disparity in income in society and uh, things like pandemics and disease, that was a big issue for them and um the rights of women for example that was an issue so they they were kind of trying to deal with those issues um back then in the, in their way and then now we continue to struggle with right. a lot of the same problems yeah. um and uh so it's just interesting to see how you, you can relate to to yeah. the people from the past that way that's this is what i think and then with renaissance for example even more so um uh, because it's going even further back and yeah. um just a fascinating and scenario.
0: i guess for for viewers like um what, what time period would Renaissance like? Oh, begin? yeah,
2: good question. So the Renaissance, generally speaking, we're thinking of the 1500s, the 16th century, cool. and the 1600s or the 17th century. Um, okay. And um, so the plays that I like to put on for this course tend to be from the time of Shakespeare. So Shakespeare lived from 1564 to 1616. That's when he was alive. And most of his plays are from the end of the century, the 1590s into the teens, you know, until Mm -hmm. he died, of course. Um, And then the play that we're doing, The Witch of Edmonton, uh, was first performed in 1621. It's a little bit after Shakespeare's time. Not published until 1658. But I really love these plays. And I love um, plays by Thomas Middleton, especially. He's one of my favorites, who's around the same period. Um, Because of the way... um, I don't even know how to put it. It's just so fascinating to have modern uh, people, like students... Um, kind of inhabiting these roles in this world from the past, and <laughs> right. sort of brings it to life. It's yeah. it's like comparing when you go to a museum, which is great. I love museums, but you're in a museum, and things really are artifacts, and they're preserved, and they're not alive. But yeah. plays are alive, and they've got real live people yeah. from now. So there's kind of this great uh, chemistry between uh, contemporary students who are you know energetic and smart and bright and and got lots of uh, talent. And then these, this voice sort of from the past that comes mm. through, I just, I find it really fascinating. Um, again, it's nothing against modern. Modern plays are great, postmodern. Um, I just have, my taste kind of goes towards mm-hmm. the past. I also love Renaissance plays because most of them are, um, at least their part are all in verse. So they use poetry, like the one we're doing now has mm-hmm. verse speeches and then also has a lot of
0: prose. Verse is the poetry. Yeah, exactly.
2: Like... The po- Right. Okay. And... Um, I really think it's uh, it's a great sort of skill to, to learn to perform verse to for uh, people playing the roles to, you know, you think of something like Hamlet. He has all those long soliloquies yeah. and lots of speeches in that play. And I think it's a great experience for uh, someone studying literature to get to to say these speeches. Not and, just read it and yeah, write exactly. it, but also... Right, and not just it and analyzing it is great, but also right. getting to kind of bring it to life and then uh, communicate it to an audience and have the audience respond. back. Uh, yeah, I guess just, that's uh, a very different experience because yeah,
0: I mean, you, you don't, you can, I guess when you're reading, like there's some emotions that you get to feel and like relate yes, to, but yep. when you're out there, you have to embody like that character. Exactly. And how, exactly. You can like really feel better how they were, like what they were mm-hmm. thinking maybe. It,
2: right. Exactly. It's such a great point because I think that the, you know, one of the most important um, elements of acting a show, I'm sure you know this already, but, is being able to kind of sympathize with the character and um, put yourself in their shoes sort of thing. So even if you're playing a terrible villain, (laughs) you somehow need to make a connection or feel sympathy for that character so that you then can convey what they're feeling at the moment when things happen or when they make a decision and after they've made the decision or an event has occurred. And then, yeah, yeah, you're right, you embody it. Um, Sure, you can, when you read something, you can kind of get it, but you're more outside of the experience than when you're actually in the play.
0: so. And I guess the one great benefit from that, um, at least that I've seen, is um, being like a third party watching, or you know you're, like, not the actual person. Yes. Mm -hmm. I guess, like, that sympathy also then starts to translate into your life. You start to be more understanding of different people and different perspectives. Yeah,
2: I think so. I mean, I think a, a great benefit can be Uh, definitely you start to realize that uh, people have different experiences and then um, you start you sort of start yeah you start to sympathize with their position more whereas you know if you it's harder it's sometimes hard to kind of see other people's perspective or to um, to sympathize with them and you it's easy to judge them right and uh, form opinions Mm -hmm. and so on but yeah when you're actually immersed in that experience it does change it and um I think for studying drama, it's really important. Most people would agree with this. It's, it's very good to perform something because now you see how the framework and the sort of mechanics of the play work um, because you have to put it on. So, right. for example, where people are coming from on the stage, right. or where they go or whether they're up or down, um, the kind of actions that they perform uh, towards other characters, how they react to them. And even things like the props. I mean, once we did a production of um, Twelfth Night here, and that was the first time I realized that money exchanges hands so often in that play because we had to keep getting little money bags and setting them. And studying the play for years and years and teaching it as well, I kind of never thought of that. And, oh, uh, well, that's an interesting issue in the play that you find out from putting it on um, where you might not notice that. Even if you're a really attentive reader, it might pass you by. So,
0: um, it's like the nuances of like their day-to-day lives. Yeah, exactly. It's It's kind of lost in the reading because you you Mm -hmm. can read like the, I guess there's stage directions and things, Yeah. but actually seeing it, some people, that's a much more effective way to take that in. And, um, Mm -hmm.
2: students will often say, you know, um, they read a play from the time of Shakespeare or that period, the Renaissance, and it, it obviously is very remote. Um, the language is different from now and Mm -hmm. so on. So they're not really sure what's going on. But then when they see it performed, they go, oh, now I see what's (laughs) going on in this particular scene or what that character's doing and what their motivations are. Um, So, yeah. So watching it as well as being in it really does help.
1: And an interesting thing is also the language changes that you see. Like, that's one thing you learn about the past (laughs) from it.
2: Yes, you do. And, you know, I just love, um, again, I I really like doing these shows with students because, um, of course, students talk differently. From their parents, typically, Mm -hmm. and from my generation and so on. And um, so everybody's got their own way of speaking. And then there's the kind of the slang or the way people spoke (laughs) in the 17th century, let's say. And um, it's great to have students saying these lines. Like I can remember we did uh, The Revenger's Tragedy, which is a Middleton play. And one of the main characters there would say, "That's my hope, my lord." And every, just hear it and think, well, that, You just don't imagine someone, you know, outside here at Western saying yeah. that, but they do in the play. And then yeah. it's kind—that's of, where, I mean. It brings the character to life because a real life. a young person is saying yeah. this speech, and it sounds natural when they say it. So, you know, it doesn't. Um, I think the other thing—well, people know this. I think from seeing really good uh, film adaptations of Shakespeare plays and going to places like Stratford, Ontario, and so on that it doesn't have to be all, you know, orating. Like, a Mm. lot of it, even if it's in verse, uh, it can sound like natural speech, which Mm -hmm. is pretty um, exciting when you think about that. I mean, it's not that in Shakespeare's time or the time Mm. of the authors of our play... um, People went around speaking in poetry all the time. But um, they did use those words and so on. Oh, they yeah. didn't
0: speak like that? No.
2: Well, they didn't speak in poetry. That would be oh, pretty interesting. amazing. I thought... <laughs> I know. I it's, actually I thought they did. The I once history. had a professor years ago who uh, taught Milton, really brilliant professor, Professor Rajan. And um, we, we thought, as students in his class, that he actually was speaking in blank verse because he, he had such an elegant, wonderful... <laughs> way of speaking that it sounded like it was because you know blank versus unrhymed iambic pentameter right so it doesn't sound like say couplets like it's not obvious that it's poetry yeah. but then okay. you start you can sense the rhythm but honestly he's the, but he's the only person i've ever met who actually um sounds, and he
0: studied like the same kind of um like literature right? well he
2: was a milton scholar and uh, oh
0: that's the playwright or the
2: this professor i'm talking about he so he was a milton professor and he also mm-hmm. uh on modern poetry like T.S. Eliot, okay, and writers like that, but uh, yes, he was great. Cool, yeah, his daughter is a professor here, so uh, Professor Tuludama Rajan. she's a very famous romantic, uh, romantics author, so uh, uh scholar, so um, and
0: That's theory awesome. and criticism, yeah, but anyway, maybe he, like, all that know. reading he's done, it's just like, yes, transformed the way he speaks it and could have you know and just become a poet naturally <laughs> yeah
2: maybe and also here at western in our department we have a, another great Melton Scholar and that's John Leonard professor John Leonard and he um he he talks normally like a modern <laughs> person uh with an english accent but he um he knows so much of paradise lost i, I swear he knows the whole poem off by heart and it's massive it's 12 books yeah, yeah. of at least 1000 lines a book
1: that's so crazy. it's very big that's crazy. but he
2: can he can just start to perform the, the yeah. characters in there it's amazing so yeah it, you know if you're immersed enough in literature i think it does start to become part of the way you yeah the way you speak and yeah. think and everything which yeah
1: is i see people great. that can like quote people really fast yeah. like, from plays which i find is so amazing because oh, like how do yeah. you remember that
2: i don't some people have a great memory for and they can just reel it off and even if they've done it years ago they can still yeah. remember the speeches it's amazing
0: yeah and I know we kinda of spoke about like the Renaissance plays, but I was wondering if maybe for like um people who aren't super familiar with the differences and everything you've learned, like what are kind of some things that have changed over time in like the plays yeah. from back then to now? Oh,
2: that's a great question. Yeah, the um one of the thing about one thing about the Renaissance plays, which is a reason I like to do them another reason, is that they tended not to have much scenery. They didn't have things okay. like electric lights and they didn't have curtains and they didn't have uh, proscenium arch stages. So those kind of stage like a frame. Mm-hmm. Um, they tended to be in um, if they were outdoors, like at the Globe Theatre, they had a thrust stage, which sort of goes out into the audience. Also,
0: um, oh, the audience is like sat around yeah, the stage. Exactly. Exactly. Okay.
2: And um, if they were indoors, it was sort of similar, but, you know, Um, Kind of like where we are in Conrad Hall, just in a big hall. And the actors are sort of in in one area and the audience uh, did tend to be, you know, in front and on the two sides. So there's like a three-sided sort of thing. And um, so the the thing about that is it means you don't have to build a big set um, and you don't have to have a lot of elaborate set dressing or anything. Uh Um, And what they did, because they didn't have those, they just had sort of, you know, maybe the odd chair or bench or something. And then the speeches in the plays tell you where they are. So Shakespeare's plays famously have a lot of speeches that um, tell the audience where the, you know, what the setting is and what's going on in plays, like the opening of Henry V, for example. You know, you're supposed to imagine the fields of France and the Battle of Agincourt, which they can't, you know, it was way before CG or anything like that. Mm-hmm. They couldn't put on a believable battle on the stage. Right. So they just used words and the audience imagined it. So I really love that about them. Um and then the same reason the entrances and exits kind of flow together. So from scene to scene, they tend to just go one after the other without big breaks,
0: which I really do. Did they like. have intermissions as well?
2: They, I, as far as I know, they did not. Um, oh, really? A, a Renaissance scholar, so I'm a Victorianist, not a Renaissance person, but I'm pretty sure I've heard Renaissance uh, drama people tell me that... Um, The plays were not even really uh, divided into acts and scenes initially. um, But later on, they started to do that for various reasons. So they did, um, you know, they do kind of flow one after the other. So again, if you go somewhere like Stratford and see the plays in the festival theatre, the scenes just go one after the other out onto the Mm. big stage And how long are they? How long are the... The uh,
0: whole, like, play.
2: Oh, the play. That's a a good question, too. So the plays... um, If you take Shakespeare's plays, they range from the shorter ones are a couple hours long. And the long ones can be four or more. So the long plays, I mean, plays like Antony and Cleopatra. If you do the whole Hamlet, um, because there's different editions of Hamlet. So if you do the, the longest edition, it's about four hours. Um, the longest edition of King Lear's Four Hours. These are really long. They're less like without opera. the breaks,
0: as we spoke yeah. about.
2: Without the breaks, yeah. Wow. And Continue so the breaks guys. got introduced, you know, I think later. I think when happened... the actors
0: got tired. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, like actors, we need some break. We, we, yeah. <laughs> we need a break. Exactly.
2: Well, and I think that in the Renaissance, when the plays were initially put on, the audience you know, moved around a lot. So if they had to, you know, go to use a washroom or something, they would just go and come back. Okay. So it was a bit more like going to the movies now or oh. um, going to a sports, maybe like going to a, you know, a hockey game or something. Mm-hmm. So people would eat and drink in the space. They'd move around, they'd go out, they'd come back in. And um, it was more casual. So the formality of um, classical theater really happened in the 19th century, Victorian period. Yeah. So it happened then. And then the 20th century. So where people sit quietly and Uh, Like at classical music concerts, it was very (laughs) quiet, for example. But not at that time, the audiences were very rowdy and um loud and that like, sounds awesome through. yeah i know no <laughs> um, that
1: makes it harder for the actors it's though, pretty no? hard they, yeah. and they had
2: no microphones, so they had to shout over oh them. wow and yes I oh think i guess yeah i didn't yeah. think about that aspect and if audiences <laughs> didn't like things i think they'd probably throw Threw you know tomatoes. you get that thing of throwing tomatoes or something like they would show their uh dislike of the show pretty strongly so you you yeah. need to be brave to be an actor yes yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah. I can see why they eventually needed breaks. Like, <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's yeah. a lot to deal with for sure. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And I'm wondering, like, you also spoke about how there wasn't as elaborate of sets. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of it had to do with like listening and like, um, drawing the imagery through those words. Yeah. So as an audience member, like, h- how do you compare the two different experiences? What oh, do you yeah. like? It's
2: really different. Yeah. Well, because actually in the Renaissance, they used to say, you'd go to hear a play. And they kept using that expression in England, um, I think for at least a couple hundred years, instead of see a play. But oh, um, around after the Restoration, which was 1660 when Charles II was restored to the monarchy in England after you know they had this uh, period where the Puritans ran the country, there was no monarchy, the interregnum, middle of the 17th century. Anyway, he came back, and then he brought with him ideas about French theatre, which was way more elaborate, and they started putting on these really elaborate, big, expensive uh, lavish spectacles for him and then also at, at these oh. theaters in, in London, England and um, so there got to be a, a change from going to hear the audience having that experience of listening and absorbing it and figuring it out on their own to seeing stuff presented to them mm-hmm. and um, yeah and then now of course if you go to a musical for example I mean it's every sense pretty much like you go and it's loud and there's yeah. music and there's dancing and there's speaking and there's what, big sets and effects so uh-huh. it's all everything, and uh, which is great. I mean, I love musicals, but um, yeah, they just didn't have the technology at the time, mm-hmm. and so it was a different experience. I think audiences went and they, they just n- needed to be ready to kind of follow it as best they could and uh, sympathize with the characters and things like that. And um, a lot you know, of yeah. it seems
0: like a lot of the imagination work was still on like the audience members. Yeah,
2: I think you're right. I think the you know the audience was. They weren't just kind of sitting there going, okay, entertain me, but we're kind huh. of involved in it. I think you can sort of compare it to, you know, a poetry slam or something like that where oh, people are doing, point. they're uh, performing their poems and the audience does react. I mean, anytime I've been at one, audiences react a lot, yeah. um, supportive, but, you know, they don't attack them, but uh, very supportively. And so um, there's a, more of an interchange between audience and actor. It's much less passive audience and active people mm-hmm. up on the stage, Yeah. That's a great point. You know, um, maybe that's another reason I like the Renaissance plays because although audiences now, or the culture is to sit quietly and not react, but if they ever do, I think, Great. I love it when people bring yeah. little kids to plays because they'll, you know, get all excited and shout stuff. Yeah. And I think, good for you, you should. Past so. the baby stage, because yeah. then they only know cry. Yes, they only cry. <laughs> well, true, I don't know if you, you, don't really want to bring a poor baby to one, but yes. Um, but I'm
1: assuming when you say a good line, like you want people to like either laugh yeah. or react to it. I, Otherwise I, it's Exactly,
2: like, you feel like it's fell flat. Like well, a concert
0: almost, like having yes. that experience with the, I, yeah. the artists and the audience. Right, yeah. like
2: if you're playing a concert, uh, And the audience is sitting there. (laughs) It must be terrible. Well, and I read a book one time about uh, soliloquies in Hamlet. And uh, this one actor said that he found that one audience particularly, he was doing these soliloquies from Hamlet. And um, some of them have sort of questions in them. Well, like to be or not to be does, right? And um, there was somebody in the audience who kept answering the questions. Uh And this actor thought, this is great. Like, I never realized how much it feels like a dialogue. And he just you know fed off it. He, he didn't go oh no it's ruined he oh, was really happy ta- like basically so it's talking? kind of back and forth and um, <laughs> wow. he, it just gave him and again it's like this insight you get with live theater he he got this insight into how the the speeches some of hamlet's speeches kind of are asking for a response from someone oh. out there so it was great wow. i mean the person who responded i think well that's kind of cool but on the actor to yeah kind of play off yeah of he that? kind of went with it and um Because, you know, I think people nowadays do tend to think, oh, no, that guy's disrupting, shh, you know, don't do that. But actually, I think it's really great when audiences react. And, you know, of course,
0: if you do a comedy and nobody laughs, it's really depressing.
2: (laughs) Oh, no, why aren't they laughing? It's a good
0: comparison because even comedians, like, it's very... Uh, common for them to play off what people are saying yes
2: exactly yeah. yeah and they have to deal with hecklers if there are hecklers and mm-hmm. and yeah. sometimes it, it works know?
0: out really well because yeah. they have they kind of work into more content through right. like talking to the hecklers exactly
2: because mm-hmm. you know I think the thing about a live performance is it's just you have to have uh some kind of back and forth communication from audience to to performer it's not just uh performers you know doing things and the audience doing nothing like yeah yeah so i i just welcome people to i mean i don't i'm not of the school of wanting to make people interact with plays not that that's bad i just have Mm -hmm. found it's hard like if you have actors go out into the audience sometimes audience members just get uncomfortable Um, these days we really can't because of social distancing and so on but um you know before the before covid I don't know. I just found that it, most people were like, no, it's like getting pulled up on, oh, here's a volunteer and making them come up on stage. I don't, I think most people would rather not, but that doesn't mean that they don't want to laugh out loud or cry or cheer or something because that's, you know, that, that would feel comfortable. Right. But being pulled into the show, I'm not,
0: I do Maybe don't it's a general, no. um, maybe it could be like a general cultural shift, like maybe from yeah. like the Renaissance to the Victorian time, the, there was a, it seems like there was a cultural shift of people oh, yes, wanting definitely. to be more. Like, um, yeah. good. So maybe we've That's kind of right. maybe there's been that change again where people are not as comfortable talking aloud. Maybe because they're so used to like we're used to talking like through email, texting. Mm-hmm. Maybe yeah. that mm-hmm. also has an effect.
2: Oh, definitely. I mean, I think people just uh, you know they and and lots of people don't go to the theater. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> These days, you know, it's not the way it used. It used to be such a pop. Not everybody went in the past, but it was a very yeah. popular form mm-hmm. of entertainment. And, um, so oftentimes I think, you know, people come and they've, they've either never been to a play in their life or, you know, they've only been to a few or the last time was many years ago when they were a little kid and taken on a school trip or something. And so they, um, they feel uncomfortable because it's unfamiliar and they don't know, That's a is there, is there a way you're supposed to act? And it's like when you go to class, I mean, I don't want to slam classical <laughs> me- I love classical music, but it, I didn't realize until, you know, I think probably when my daughter was taking violin lessons when she was a kid. I didn't realize that when you go to a classical concert, you, you don't clap between the movements. You know how they stop in a movement of a symphony oh, and yeah. everybody just <clears throat> coughs and stuff and so they live in their seats. But <laughs> if you start to clap, everyone's like, no, you can't clap between movements. So it's it, it oh, kind of is a way of showing so... It's like you're showing you know that that's only the second movement of this symphony. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it's a very, the culture is a little oppressive. and well, It's not like that popular music, obviously. you know, they, Everybody makes
0: noise through <laughs> the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. and Sing along or whatever. But, um, yeah, it's kind of funny. So it's uh, like yeah. you're at home kind of listening on your own, but in a public setting, yeah, it seems yeah. kind of like odd and weird. Yes, you're exactly. all just like quiet. Oh, I know and...
2: you can't, and you can't, you know, if you start to cough or sneeze, you're like, you have to get out <laughs> oh, or no. you'll be escorted out. You're like, Oh no. Cause you have to be all quiet in between. But I mean, it is, it is great to hear classical music. I love it, but right. um, that is something you kind of, you know that uh, mm-hmm. is is a it's an audience thing definitely yeah it's a very good point yeah. you're making like the audience has changed over time a lot the the audience I guess behavior or what's the accepted way of um, acting as an audience member yeah and uh, it would be nice to kind of go back to more of a interactive you know as they say in other things like poetry readings and. Um, you know, lots of concerts where <clears throat> the audience is right involved in it, you know. And mm-hmm. I, I like that a lot. So. And
1: the last thing we want to touch upon is that what are some things you learned about as like being a director versus like an actor in oh, plays and plays? Oh, yeah. Oh, thanks. Well, compared to the two, as an
2: actor, when I used to, when I was a student, and then for some years after, sometimes I'd be in, uh, not never professional plays, but obviously, but in student productions or so on. And, um, I would just throw myself into it. I just loved it. I loved small roles, especially, and the bigger ones were okay. And so I... Why you
1: know, is that? You like smaller roles? I like roles the then.
2: small ones because there's less, um, uh, stress and pressure. fewer sure. lines to learn. That's one thing. And <laughs> also, you just feel like you can do your little bit and then you're done and you're part of the whole, uh, the cast and crew and theater company. So it's really nice and sociable. Yeah. Um, and then afterwards you can just feel like that's great. I could handle that. No problem. Um, whereas the, the bigger roles, there's more expectations laid on you that you perform it a certain way Mm -hmm. and also more lines to learn and I, you know, and by more like it's
0: significantly more sometimes. Yeah, Sometimes mm -hmm. it's a lot. Sure. Yeah.
2: And so I just found, you know, I didn't really, I never aspired to be an actor professionally or a star in anything. So I just wanted to be, you know, in a show for fun. Yeah. And so that's why I like the small ones. But, um, yeah. And as an actor, I always felt like you uh, needed to find some focus or moment that would kind of uh, get you to the right emotions. Uh, like, I was not a method actor or anything like that, really, mm-hmm. but I would just think about something that would put me in the mindset. That Is would that be, how they right. do
1: it? Like, get the I think some actors do that. Out. Yeah, they
2: use um, memory. They sort of select memories and, and use those oh. to get to the emotion. You know, there's so many techniques of acting, oh, yeah. Um but I so I would do that, and it seemed to kind of help me get immersed and not think about how I was acting in the scene, but I was just in that particular moment. So mm-hmm. I think having a strong focus on something is very important. Directing, oh, I just found that uh, it's well, uh, it's it's hard to do it in a way. Um, like I don't find it any easier, even though I've directed a lot of plays for uh, the student plays here um, for courses and summer Shakespeares uh, for many years too. Um, but I think you you just need to uh, learn how to help the actors use their strengths to to do to perform the scenes the best. And um, if it's a group, like if they're like in our play right now, the group of um, the Morris dancers, they already have a great dynamic, so I don't have to do much. But um, you know, if if it's a group, you want them to kind of use as much as possible the, the strength that they've got as a group and the way they play off each other and how. Um, you know, how much energy they bring to the scenes. And then yeah. with individuals, it's kind of um, talking a lot about what's going on with the character and what are the emotions mm. at the moment and what, how do they, um, how, how, you know, what they feel is, is the next logical thing to do in terms of movement. Although with blocking place, I do, I've always tended and what, to And what's of,
0: blocking? Just...
2: Oh, blocking is, uh, you know, is telling the actors where to come in from, to where to okay. enter, where to exit, and where to kind of be on the stage whether they're standing or sitting and stuff. And uh, when I st- one thing I did learn is years ago when I started out directing a lot of the, or directing plays for the department, I would really uh, micromanage this and tell them every move, like, sit here, get up, yeah. put your hand there, you know, lift it back off here. Almost like fight choreography, right? Those yeah. sort of things. And then I started feeling, like, well, that's a little oppressive. You know, maybe I should let people explore how they want to uh-huh. move. So I make suggestions, but if they want to change it, Um, that's the best thing you trust their judgment with that yeah exactly and um, I find that you know sometimes with uh, I can see it happening in the show now um, in rehearsal and I've seen this in the past sometimes people are sort of not quite in the role and not quite in the they're a little bit removed from it Mm -hmm. and then something suddenly clicks and they're just doing it. And you're like, oh, amazing. Sometimes that happens, you know, on opening night. And sometimes it happens <laughs> as soon as they get costumes on or makeup because then they suddenly feel different. Right. Yep. And then other times it's just sort of at partway through rehearsal. You're like, yeah, that's so great. So um, I've, I, yeah, I've just sort of learned to be less uh, dictatorial. Mm-hmm. I think that's the thing. Um, because I, you know, I think I partly was that in reaction to doing plays as a student where. We'd have very nice people directing us either professors or grad students or other students and they just kind of not tell us to do anything. they go okay, you come out here and we'd stand there and go direction please what tell us what to do yeah. and, and we'd be standing there just in a line saying our lines and um, we felt really like uh, sort of uh, unsupported so right. that, that's part partly I reacted against that. I was like I'm gonna tell them every single little thing to do yeah because then, yeah. then they'll feel more. Um, confident, but then I felt like it's too much. So now I try not to do that. But I
1: guess when you get into like the scene and stuff, then you wanna like do the things on your own because you get into it. Yeah.
2: And especially with scenes with uh two well like you with Susan in the scene. Like when you've got people in a scene, they they start to react off each other. Mm -hmm. And um you don't want to be this person interfering with it and going Which I think I still do. You know, I have to try (laughs) not to do that. Um you have to let see how it plays out and see how they work. Yeah. with each other it's also why I like to break up into groups when we're practicing because people go on their own practice a bit you know a scene with two or three people and they sort of figure out good ways to do it right. and I don't mind if they want to completely change you know the blocking or the way they're approaching this that is fine you know because whatever works best for them is better so
0: yeah, I think that's a pretty cool adjustment that you've kind of seen in uh, how you handle that because I, I feel like this is a general commentary on like leadership in general you, you need to be supportive because yeah. that's what your role is as a leader. But then there comes a point where you also have to let things like happen. Exactly. Yeah.
2: And one thing they talk about in theater all the time is trust. You know, so you do trust. We haven't done this in our class, but it's a time constraint, but you do yeah. trust exercises. So I'm sure people remember from high school drama, for instance, you know, like the falling the fall. back and people <laughs> catch you and you do have to trust the other people. And right. um, yeah. So yeah, if you're kind of running things or you're in a leadership role, I, that's totally exactly right you you have to you know you have to make decisions and so on but you have to trust people at a certain point to make the right decision and and do mm-hmm. their part and you don't kind of interfere or try to micromanage it because um it just doesn't work that way like it's not really actually leading them so yeah yeah that's a yeah. good point yep
0: Well, this has been a a wonderful talk. Oh, well, thanks. I enjoyed it so much. So nice to talk to you.
1: Thank you so much for giving us such a nice insight into like plays, and I didn't know a lot of things that you mentioned, so I definitely learned a lot. Oh, thanks. And honestly, this is motivating me to like do because I did plays in elementary school, and that's the last time I did it. Yeah. (laughs) So this is kind of like giving me flashbacks. It was really fun to do. So like that's something.
2: Yeah. Well. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. A lot of people who do this course will say, well, I haven't been in a play since you know I was in grade three and yeah. played a tree or something. And um, <laughs> but that doesn't matter. You can definitely, you know, you don't you don't have to have been doing lots of training and stuff for yeah. um, the, the place we do. everyone just jumps in and brings their own ideas and energy and so on. So, uh, but That's it is really nice. fun. It's a nice. I, um, I don't know. It's so different from. Uh, a lot of courses.
1: Exactly. Uh,
2: I mean, it's it's even different from arts courses, but in particular, it's very different from science. And yeah, um, that's a good point. You know, so people that, they're just uh, doing all this studying work and everything it's in their nice science break, courses. It's, like it's this is what people say. It's a break because it's a different kind of way of looking at things, yeah. and it's um, you know, it just it just sort of takes them, yeah, like a change is a good thing yeah. to do, just to kind of get another experience. So yeah
0: well hopefully we have things. some more drama converts through <laughs> yeah, through, yeah. through this episode I, oh um, well i hope so yeah,
2: yeah that'd be great yeah, yeah. well right. thanks so much yeah, no, no, yeah no. so
0: yeah i guess we can end well, it there great so
2: thank so. you